0: What's going on, everybody? Uh, Mike Mel here, July 10th. Uh, I'm here with Gary Antonacci um, of DualMomentum.net and OptimalMomentum.com. Uh, of course, he wrote the book, Dual Momentum Investing, an Innovative Strategy for Higher Returns with Lower Risk. If um, you go on Amazon, looks to be a uh, kick-ass book, uh, 340 Amazon Reviews. Uh, pretty insane uh amount of uh, reviews there and a uh, very high praise from the community so what's going on gary hey good to be with you mike uh, this is the uh you know the first time we're speaking uh it's the power of the internet power of social um gary reached out to me recently said i like your podcast hey you're a trend follower there's only so many of us uh so uh, here we are, and um, yeah, I just want to preface today. There are, you know, Gary's been on a lot of uh, other podcasts with uh, Michael Vell, Med Faber, um, you know, some of the other big uh, finance and, tr- and trader uh, podcasts out there. Uh, so I don't want to recreate those podcasts. Um, you know, if you want to go listen to them um, and uh, catch all the the questions regarding the intricacies of dual momentum. What is, what is, what is this one? What is absolute momentum? And we'll get into a little bit here, but I kind of want to touch on uh, some other things that uh, um, some of the other guys haven't, haven't touched today. So um, um, first off, Gary, um, we all know dual momentum. Okay. We're combining the two different styles, blending them into make uh, into making a you know a supercharged momentum style, correct? Right, right. That's
1: that's right. We get the best of both worlds. Yeah.
0: yeah. So why though? Since there are, I mean, for me, I've done a lot of different work on testing and talking to other people, and there just seems to be a lot of different ways to make money. Why momentum for you? What is it about it that? that catches you? Is, is, well, is it, is it um, just the data? It mean, you know, Or is it something deeper? There, there's several.
1: There's a lot of things, actually. First hmm. is the data. You've got more uh, extensive backtesting of momentum than anything else. Relative strength momentum, the uh, backtesting goes back at least 200 years. Yep. And with absolute momentum, uh, Grazerman and Kemenicki take it all the way back to the 1600s. Uh, simple trend following.
0: Yeah, I actually, I think but they take absolute, it back. I think they take it back to the twelve hundreds. I, I, I think I know what paper you're referring to. I think it's at eight hundred. Yeah. obviously, there's probably like two markets in those. Uh, yeah, this. You know, back but for, for equities, but, okay. you know, It goes back to the twelve
1: hundreds. If you want
0: to see
1: it, right. And other obscure markets. Um. So, so that's yeah. one thing is mm-hmm. uh, all the data and all that validation. Out of sample type validation. The second thing we effect. you know, uh, not only do you have the potential for higher returns, but because you have uh, trend following through absolute momentum, you also are able to mitigate a lot of the downside uh, yes. that you get in bear markets. So to have that combination is is pretty unique. You can't find that anywhere else.
0: Yeah, and I think. That was something that I saw on your website. One of the one of your posts, um, it compared the the bull market performance and the bear market performance. And what I noticed was, and this is something I noticed in in my work too, is that um, overlaying momentum on a you know a market or you know in your case a stock uh, market index, you see it seems to pace. The, the market in, in good times um, and, and you know, viciously outperform it in bear markets. So that, that is something that um, I think, I don't know, maybe some people miss is that, you know, we're not trying to uh, really provide this high octane, you know, different sort of alpha or something. No, we're just trying to, you know, when it's going up, we're trying to stay with it. We're trying to keep pace with it. Um, do as well as we can, but obviously when it starts to turn the other way or flatten out or whatever, um, we're just not going to participate. We're gonna we're gonna withdraw and eliminate the risk. We're not going to reduce it um, and still maintain our position like a you know a simple you know uh, S and P index or world index will do. Is is it's, it's always invested no matter what. It just changes the weightings around. In the momentums case and the absolutes case. Um, it just eliminates it entirely. And that's what, I don't know, it seems to me that that's what creates the, the the major outperformance in the bear markets.
1: Well, let, let me, it's ex- pretty interesting how it works, how the synergy works. Let me mm-hmm. take a moment to explain that. Uh, on relative momentum, what we do is we, uh, go back and forth between U.S. and non-U.S. stocks, whichever has been stronger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if you only use relative momentum, and that's a form of trend following, too. You're going with the trend of whichever is stronger. Sure. Now, you will outperform in overall and in bull markets, but you, you don't get rid of any downside volatility at all. You still have the same bear market exposure, the same horrendous drawdowns at times. Uh, you do get a bump, a bump up in, in return which is right now if you used only absolute momentum which is only trend following applied to say the S&P 500 mm-hmm. where you're you're in stocks when they're going up and you stand aside you go into short term bonds let's say when stocks are going down uh you get get rid of a lot of your bear market exposure but you have some whipsaws along the way and because trend following doesn't get in or at uh, or out at tops and bottoms. You have some lags. So what happens is you underperform in bull markets, right. but you dramatically outperform in bear markets. Now, by putting the two together, you have the synergy there. So that in bull markets, your your relative momentum contributes return, so that you end up performing in line with the market, or even a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you had only absolute momentum, that wouldn't be the case. And when you go into bear market situations, uh, instead of getting clobbered, which you would if you only had relative strength momentum, uh, absolute momentum helps protect you. So that's where you have some dramatic outperformance uh, based on what we've seen in the past.
0: Yes, and um, I'm on the dualmomentum.net site and on the right-hand uh, side has your popular posts and uh, the post I was thinking of was why does dual momentum outperform and uh, just scroll down towards the bottom there. And it has a table of the uh, uh, bull markets for the S and P. This is the, your this is your, uh, uh, your gem um, gem program compared to a seventy thirty 30 portfolio of the S and P and the U S bond benchmark. And uh, yeah, I mean, even, even in the bull markets, the gem did roughly 290 uh average return uh 290% in in the bull markets since 1971 um while the S&P did 277 but the bear markets is where uh the wow factor comes in I think for me um yeah. the S&P on average was down 37% while the gem was up 3.6 I mean that's uh that pretty much says it all. There, it's just it's not doing uh, anything stupid. Uh, not getting caught up in you know, not getting swept away with the flood, so to speak. Just kind of step aside, stand on the riverbank, and watch it go, and then pick it up later.
1: Uh, yeah, and, and picking it up later uh, helps not only uh, psychologically, you know, avoid the downside, but it helps your return because, yeah. as you know, if you have a fifty percent loss you need a hundred percent gain yes. just to get back up to even. so by avoiding those horrendous losses, uh, you could just pick up right where you left off.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's one mantra I, I use for um, you know, when I market this stuff and talk to per, uh, prospective investors too is that I'm not trying to do anything special. Um, I don't really even need you know to predict things and, and make you know, great calls or something. I just need to not do anything stupid. And that seems, you know, momentum seems to be an easy way, uh, you know, a common sense way to just take care of it, to take, to.
1: What, to what you're trying to do is just, just be in tune with the market dynamics. Sure. If you can be in tune with what the markets are doing, you know, stand aside when it's not favorable and participate uh, when it is, then the returns will take care of themselves over time.
0: Right. Right. Um, have you ever, um, because you, know, you know on on your system you're focused mainly on mostly on stocks and you know and, and bonds when you're you know not actively actively taking position in, in the stock index have you ever tested uh, this stuff on let's say like a diversified futures basket you know stocks bonds currencies and commodities um, at all I haven't personally done it but there's been a lot
1: of studies where they've done that. They've applied momentum to all different kinds of assets. Um, uh, the, uh, the most uh, famous one, I guess, is by, uh, done in, in just a couple of years ago, in which uh, Garecki and Saminoff, mm-hmm. and what, what they found was that uh, momentum works on everything. Uh, right. and they applied it to stocks, to geographically diversified stock indices, commodities, currencies, fixed income. And they found it was consistently profitable over buy and hold uh, in all of these areas. And uh, But they found that where it worked best was with geographically diversified stock indices. And that's how I use it because um, I'm trying to capture a risk premium. And there's mm-hmm. proven risk premium from equities, you know, going back as far as you can go time.
0: Right. Um, yeah. There always, there seems to be like um, maybe how people, investors view good fund managers. They view stocks uh, similarly. And that if you see a good company, um, you know, come on sale or something there, there's always people there to, to bid it up. Um, so there, there's tends to be this rise over time, you know, provided that the company's good. Um, I think, I think we—I I might be mistaken here—that uh, that larger cap seems to hold up better over time, maybe less turnover. Um, does, uh, do you find that too? Does, uh, does, does the momentum work better with large cap stocks versus you know small caps and those micro caps things like that? It it does. It works a little. I mean, it works with
1: everything, but it does work better with large caps. I think that's largely a function of the liquidity um, and okay. price impact effects, because large caps are so easy to trade in and out of. And uh, small caps, uh, you know, they're higher risk. So you may get a higher return, but you're going to get more volatility associated with it. And when you combine the two and you look at on a risk adjusted basis, momentum uh, in my work uh, does better with large caps.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's just one thing that, um, I don't know. I don't know what... Do, do you have any insight as to why momentum in general is just not more widely used? You know, widely accepted? You know, is it, is it like a laziness thing? Like people are, are like, ah, you know what, what I have is good enough. I don't want to start reinventing the wheel or learn something new. Is it just laziness? What do you, I don't know. Now, what do you some,
1: some of it is you know, slow diffusion of information; it just hasn't caught on. I mean, value investing has been known about since the '80s and '90s, right. and small cap, small cap too. Even though that hasn't proven out too well, people still use it because it's been known for so long. Uh, momentum just took off with research in the '90s and was very slow because it challenged uh, academics and the whole idea of efficient markets. So. It took a while for it to catch on and, and be accepted. There's also psychological issues associated with it. With value, for example, you're buying things when they're down, and everybody likes that idea of going out and getting bargains. Yes. Um, they they don't realize, perhaps in the uh, financial area, that there's risks associated with uh, those bargains. but. That's another point, but with momentum you're buying things after they've gone up, and there's a psychological deterrent uh, to doing that in fact, it's called the disposition effect yep. whereas people want to sell their winners too soon and hold on to their losers uh, too long so if things start winning uh, there's a reluctance to jump in and want to buy
0: yeah it seems to be uh, you know the grabbing a bargain a um, I saw some work I'm uh friendly with a guy another another uh, trend following CTA out in New Zealand Mark Sleeman he uh he did some work with uh, Ed Sakota on this uh, and he called it a grab a bargain uh system it just you know it was a, it was basically a, a reversal of a of an absolute momentum you know a trend following system you know buying the lows and 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 selling when it uh selling when it hits the upper channel and and Going over and over and over again, and it found that it just misses the best moves, and uh, and the equity curve just goes top right, uh, no top left to lower right over time uh, instead of the other way. And <laughs> it, it, but it feels really good, right? The times that it does work, it feels great. Um, that's something that yeah. you know we, um, I'm in uh, Ed Sakota's trading tribe. You know, he's got a lot of a lot of different trading tribes that have popped up. Um, over uh, across the world and uh, in the one in New York. And it's, it's just one thing all the time where we just constantly working on our feelings. Like we, most of us are just uh, subconsciously uh, putting ourselves in a box where we feel really good about things. And we don't, we don't do things that, that make us feel things we don't like. And then we, We miss opportunity or we find ourselves frustrated or not growing and all these other things. So, I mean, the momentum feels like it's, 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 it's the, it's an investing strategies version of just what success is. You know, success is, is not really comfortable. And of course, momentum is not comfortable either. It doesn't sell very well. Uh, Maybe this is why, because it's, it's not comfortable and it's so unlike uh, you know, going to the store, uh, going to the grocery store and seeing bread on sale. like, Oh, this is great. I get the same product for half the price or something, but in the markets, obviously the price or the, the product fluctuates, you know, it doesn't always stay. It doesn't always mean every time, you know, Apple dips that it's going to come back because that's just what it does. It always goes up and any chance you get a dip is the right thing to do. No, it could change. It could be totally different. Um, yeah, you may not be getting the same product. You may not, you may not. And I think that's maybe that's something in our everyday lives that uh, maybe sucks us in and then we bring it, you know, sucks us into that habit and then we bring it to the markets and it gets people in trouble sometimes. And maybe it's just those silly things that, um, that, that work. I don't know. Um, I'm still young. You've been doing this probably as long as I've been alive. So I'm sorry, to, I do not mean to make you feel old, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> You're a lot more experienced with this than me. The the principles are the same. They're eternal. I I have a big poster on my wall. It says, The trend is your friend. Yep. So, you know,
1: these things don't change over time. No. Some of these ideas. No. Um, It's just figuring out out how to apply it. Now, you know, with momentum, it's an intermediate term phenomenon. So you have to keep that in mind. Some people who... uh, do short-term trading, trying to use uh, momentum and trend. They get caught a lot because markets tend to be mean, more mean reverting on a short-term basis. Right. So you just have to keep your time frame in mind and
0: and be sure that you're looking at the right thing at the right time. Sure, sure. Um, um, I was listening to you and um, I'm not sure who was uh, – which podcast? If it was Michael Vell's or, or Meb uh, Faber's, uh, where you mentioned that you used to invest with Paul Tudor Jones, John W. Henry, and uh, Richard Dennis before the Turtle Program, um, how? What was that like? I mean, because obviously at the time, I don't know what years those, that was, but obviously we know who they are now and they're complete, you know, yeah. legends in, in in this industry. So, was it? How'd you find them? Like, how did that all happen? This was in the early
1: 1980s, Uh, nobody knew who they were, very few people did, and I was a commodity pool operator at that time, and I realized, you know, rather than try to reinvent the mousetrap and develop my own trading strategies, I just find the best traders out in the world, and I found them. So I went and met with uh, Richard Dennis before he set up the Turtles, and I uh, hung out with Paul Tudor Jones in New York a bit, I visited John Henry a few times, and Uh, work with all these guys and uh, put together funds where I used diversification um, by allocating amongst all of them uh, because they all had different approaches. They were trading not only different markets at different times, but with different ways and approaches of trading. And it was a beautiful uh, way to do things back then because of the lack of correlation. Uh, I did very well over the, the next 10 years, um, My investors received over 25% a year with no losing years. I think we had a break-even year once. And uh, I was able to semi-retire after that.
0: You picked the right managers, man. I mean... Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They had good markets, too, I bet. Yeah, it was was
1: the right time, too, because back then uh, the markets were less efficient uh, for commodity traders. Uh, after that, you know, everybody and their brother wanted to get into the business, and then pension funds started jumping in uh, with passive commodities because some academics wrote some papers showing some diversification value, and the markets uh, just haven't held up as well since then.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, that's what I've noticed over the past, you know, five to ten years. I started uh, my you know trend following CTA in 2011. And uh, you know, there still seems to be trends, um, but oh, yeah. Yeah. there there seems to be uh, more to lull, Well, at least recently, and and this could just be a, you know a blip in time. Obviously, markets have been going for a lot longer than uh, I've been around, and um, and you know, I think the well, there, op- there's other other yeah. information too that was useful
1: back then that you don't have advantages of now now richard dennis was a floor trader before you went upstairs right. and paul tudor jones you know he came in that was his family business his uncle was a, a big cotton trader right. and he they both of them knew all the all the people on the trading floors mm-hmm. and they would get information from those people uh which you don't have anymore you don't you don't have trading floors like
0: right. you used to and okay so with that you know people might get afraid of oh okay well then you know we need something new all the time we need to adapt like will this momentum simple momentum models will these trend following models hold up over time then are they are they moot at this point um i don't know some people say yes some people say no and it feels like you know um every time i check in with ed Sakoda, um and he always you know people always ask him uh hey do you think you know I've heard rumblings that trend following is dead. Is like, ah, oh, you know, I recall people saying that in the '60s. You know, I also recall hearing it in the '70s, '80s, '90s, and 2000s too. <laughs> and I just feel, you know, is this just, just a thing? It's just a, I don't know. Sometimes these little advantages come and go. Um, But obviously, you know, maybe during your time when you invested with them, they were. It was just a. Uh, it was, you know, divine uh, coincidence and, and luck and, and skill, and it was just a, a magical, a magical run. Um, I don't. Well, know. there was a flow. There was a flow of premium from
1: hedgers to speculators. And, you know, uh, there weren't a lot of uh, speculators back then. Now there's a lot more uh, speculative activity than compared to hedging activity. Um, but trends still hold up. It's just a matter of. Uh, finding what markets and, and doing some very careful and thorough research. And you may have to look at things differently, like Jim Simons did.
0: Yes. You know,
1: he, he was very successful after those guys. You know, he was, he was, uh, the next one that, uh, we were, we were using. And, uh, so you just have to be adaptive as the markets adapt. Um, as far as the way I apply it, which is to, um, ETFs and stock indices, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not catching on. You know, and I don't know if it'll ever catch on. Even though academics are coming up with papers now showing the trend following uh, works, but so many people were raised in uh, investment professional uh, field, you know, thinking that it was some form of uh, magic or voodoo, then they wanted to stay away from it, and those perceptions uh, don't change easily.
0: No, that's it. Seems to be the the product conflicts with the business model, the sales and marketing model, and you just keep getting the same thing. It's, it's the easiest, e- easier thing to do, you know, especially if the, if the thing that everyone's been using for so long, you know, simple buy and hold indexes or something, uh, works well enough or has worked lately, you know, why, why are we going to change our marketing pitch just to, uh, just uh, sell some new product that we found works better, you know. Yeah, people just don't, people just don't want to sell it and and waste the time.
1: Well, actually, actually, people do want to sell things because uh, it's hard to get uh, investors to pay you a fee if you're just going to go and put them in the S&P 500
0: index. That's true, that's true. That's that's definitely so, been changing over the last 10 years, I guess. Fees have come way down.
1: So, so now you have all this uh, so-called smart beta and factor investing and multi-factor investing. Uh, that's, that's really catch, catching on and is projected to get even bigger over time.
0: Yep. yep. Um I wanted to go go back to the three guys though. Was there is there anything you can remember uh or that stuck with you about I don't know any conversations you had or things you learned or or you were they had uh they made you go wow or you had some aha talking to them um at, ever well, or at, at that time or yeah.
1: Yeah, the thing is they had some some key core ideas, and they they stuck with their methods those were those were the mm. main things i mean uh, john henry he he had a you know he had all kinds of different portfolios, but it basically used the same methodology and he adhered to it religiously uh, Richard Dennis, it was all rules based I mean when he went upstairs at first, he wasn't that at a trader mm. compared to what he did on the floor so he he and uh, Bill Eckert had to develop rules based approach, and while it was very volatile, it did make money over time, and became the basis of what the Turtles did. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones is a whole different story because that guy just had tremendous feel for the markets, and uh, it was all you know trend based. But he would get information from the floor, plus his own instincts, plus I don't know what. But he he was the best trader I've ever seen.
0: Interesting. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, I think people have tried to uh, keep, keep posting his, uh, you know, trader documentary or yelling all over the place and, you know. Yeah. But you can see uh, he knows what he's doing. He's just, that was just his style of play. Um, well, he did, but then the problem you come into is
1: you get, you end up getting so much capital, you don't know what to do with it. Okay. So he, he sh- first he shut the door, then he started sending people back their money same thing Jim Simons did and then he started diversifying you know with other traders and doing other things and so it's not the same anymore uh, as what it used to be
0: yeah um I I think you know even though he gets the rap for uh being mechanical you know trend following a pioneer um Ed Sakota too uh you know he I think he's more discretionary than he might uh you know, lead on or people are not, he doesn't lead on, uh, but people, you know, give him that he's mecha- like pure mechanical or this or that. But he seems to be, um, you know, use some intuition too, that, um, you know, I, he may, he may have had a gift uh, early Kind of it may like, as you're yeah. saying with Paul Tudor Jones is they just have this intuition at such a young age uh, at the right time and stuff. It's, it's something yeah. that, you know, for like, I don't know, in like baseball or either a kid has yeah. a good arm or he doesn't. And it's really hard to teach after a certain age, but um, I don't know if these guys got better with it um, or they can they can, They're so, they're so experienced and, and they've been doing it for such a long time that they could uh, use that intuition in conjunction with, you know, rules stuff, uh, rules based things. And, um,
1: well, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he, I know. he's, what i've heard him say you know he's still very disciplined and methodical now i i could never track him down when i was in the business in the 80s but i did get one of his uh chief disciples al wise it for me and he he was you know totally mechanical
0: and uh, what he did and it worked out very well yep uh, i'll say so um i think uh yeah, I mean, I, he he's one he's one of the guys, he's one of the sites, uh, his his website too is just one of the that, that have shaped me in my thinking. Um the way he's so direct and he's so unforgiving with how he speaks and how he's very uh, methodical and that that's just one thing that I know is from a lot of guys who trade momentum uh in general, you know, guys like Jerry Parker, um I mentioned before, um and they just take their time with their opinions and how they think and rolling things out and ideas that they're not, they're not emotional, uh, uh, you know, impulsive people. Um, they seem to, you know, have a feeling, but then, you know, sit with it and think about it for a while. Um, that's one thing. Yeah. I, you have, yeah. You have to check, check your feelings at the, at the door. Sure. Sure. And I think Sorry. it's, I think, I mean, I, what, what I've noticed is that there seem to be a lot of different ways to make money, but they're, I think you need to find the thing that works for you, too, so you can keep doing it. And, you know, it, it, who cares if it's not the best sharp ratio? Like, who cares? You know, because uh, you know, a, a worse sharp ratio for this guy following it at 100% versus some high-octane, you know, fancy-schmancy system for this guy who follows it intermittently, the guy, the first guy might get better results because just, just because he's sticking to it. You know better. It's like the tortoise and the hare thing. You know, They're the one well, that stays have, the course. Yeah,
1: you have to really do your homework, do your research, so that you have the confidence that, that will give you the staying power. You look at Warren Buffett; he's had horrendous drawdowns, sure, uh, but he's he's done very very well over time because he knew that his approach worked, and it was just a matter of time before everybody else can do that too.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a good. He, Buffett's a good example because one of his, or maybe his biggest drawdown came, uh, I wrote something on this, uh, his biggest drawdown came in the dot-com bubble. He lost 50% while the NASDAQ was, you know, screaming. And, you know, you wonder, you know, what makes Buffett, Buffett, is that it's probably his persistence. And as you mentioned with the other three guys too, is that they just have a, they have a process and they're so unforgiving about it. Like, this is what I'm doing. and. I'm okay with losing in the short term to something else, even something that's so dumb and simple. Well, okay, but this is who, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I wonder how many, you know, fund managers derail their process when they're experiencing a losing streak and they just start changing things just to appease their, the feelings of their uh, investors and they want to, you know, Retain and keep that the money under management, and you know, say whatever they got to say, just to or, or do whatever they have to do to kind of keep the the short term results yeah. consistent or pace. And, and what happens? They end up making a big mistake, and then it sets them back. And then and then yeah, oh you, know, you were asking about uh, why
1: this is a more popular trend in momentum, and one of the reasons is uh, because the tracking error. Uh, same thing with with anything that deviates from the market but especially something like uh, trend or momentum because you're watching everything else go up while you're on the sidelines sometimes or you're getting whipsawed, and that's psychologically difficult it can also get you fired right. managing other people's money so people have to understand uh, if you're trend following you may have a, a bunch of losses strings of losses and then you'll make it all up in one big trade and uh, that's uh, an unusual way of uh, making money, but it, it does work. Right, you know, it protects you on, protects you from the on the downside, yes. and captures a lot of the upside.
0: Yep. Um, you mentioned before that you license your dual momentum system to a couple of financial advisors. Um, would it surprise you if you check back in, or you checked in once a year and asked for the results they got? Would you Would you be surprised if they were different?
1: I would be surprised because um, these are proprietary models. I work closely with these people, Mm -hmm. and I provide them with the signals every month. And uh, and you know, if if they they're free to do whatever they want to with them, but uh, if there's no reason to pay me if you're not going to follow the models and. Uh, so I only work with people who really have a good understanding and appreciation of this kind of an approach. Right. Uh, so I I would be surprised, yeah, if
0: I saw results very considerably. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's. Um. Uh. I guess maybe what I was trying to get at was, you know, uh, obviously we know we could we could track the system real time. Uh, as you say, you can license out the 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 rules and. You know, I guess if people are not fully believe uh, believing in it, or you know, it's just not uh, on a deeper level, a part of, uh, I'd say, like may- maybe consistent with their ideology and philosophy, and just uh, overall emotional well, I, makeup.
1: I don't or, deal with I don't deal with people like that. It's not a subscription service. It's a licensing arrangement where okay. we're closely with people. I don't. Give them the rules. I give them the signals, sure. along with uh, you know whatever inform- other information that I want in terms of what's going on with the models. But uh, they have to already have a really good understanding of dual
0: momentum before we would do anything like that with them. Okay, so that's good that you you, you um, you're thorough before it's before it's rolled out and uh, ensure you know, at least increase the odds that they're going to follow it because they believe in it already. Um, I think that's one, one area that's huge in any sort of investing um, or, you know, you bring it to like diet and fitness too. There's a lot of different ways to get fit and healthy out there, but there's some people that don't really take the time to think about what kind of style they like and, you know, kind of make it a part of their life, uh, you know, their daily routine, not just, uh, it's not some, you know, 90 day or, uh, you know, six month thing and we're going to go full blast and then the rest of the time we're going to, we're going to crash. It's not this uh, uh, high volatile pump and, uh, pump and dump type of a, type of a pattern. It's more of a, no, this is just what I do. This is, this is every day. This is how I like it. Um, yeah. I believe in this stuff and it's very calm. Um, it's really not work. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to have a good understanding and find something that, you know, you feel
0: comfortable with and that, uh, you you can stick with. Right. Yeah. And and that's that's the theme. That's, that's the, that's the, uh, the thing I heard you say before about what you learned from the, the three big traders that you invested with back in the eighties, that they were just religious and persistent and they stuck to their thing. And, (laughs) some people just don't want to hear it. I mean, they always want some fancy new way of doing things, but it's, you know, simple and persistence seems to be good enough. Um, and and win over the long run. Um, uh, are there, were were there any things about those guys in particular or really any new, I don't know if you do any investing with any other managers today or, or since that time, um, but are, are there any things that you look for, um, in people, in, in managers that, that would make you say, all right, I like that, I like that guy or, or not? Uh,
1: well, yeah, that's good. Anything else now because I've, I've got, you know, everything I need myself in house. I have three different proprietary models, uh, and then I, I do other trading in addition to that. But, Mm-hmm. Well, I used to do a lot of due diligence when I would come up with these CTAs. Okay. So, uh, so basically, you want to see that they're honest, that you know right. they're telling the truth about their performance. That uh, it's logical that it makes some sense with as much information as you can get a gift out of them on what, how they're doing it. And you want to see that they're disciplined um, and that they're professional um, and that uh, you know they're successful. That's Pretty
0: much, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Seems again. Seems simple. Simple formula. Um, I think. uh, I don't know. Um, I think. I think most people in this space are are all that. You know, there's some might be you know better than others. Uh, Obviously, we don't really know what everyone's doing uh, as far as rules and stuff like that. But you know, there seems to be a lot of uh, variance in performance. Uh, even even when people market themselves as the same thing, um, I can't I can't fully explain why uh, th- things may change over time. Uh, sorry, uh, why one uh, one manager might deviate from another, um, even though their marketing pitch is virtually similar. But um, yeah, I always wonder about you know how you know because I I've been. Running a business for almost the last eight years, and you know, being young and trying to trying to get more assets to just pay bills and things like that, I can imagine how just business pressures or or pressures from your spouse or whatever else uh, can influence your ability to take a signal. Um, you know, even if you have a a really good, robust, back tested system, it's still. You know, that's why, as, uh, that you know, the sport's saying, that's why you play the games. Like, you still have to do it. You know, you don't get credit for just running a nice little back test. You actually have to do it. Yeah. Uh, and um, it just seems to be those character traits that really separate um, one from the next and, and throughout time. Um, right. But, you know.
1: Well, you, you, have to, you have to have a vision, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to set some goals and know where you're going and not just uh, – not just do it half passively. So uh, that's what I meant when I said uh, professionalism. Right. You know, you have to approach it as a business and something that you believe in and you have confidence in because you've done your homework and uh, you've lived with it every day for uh, enough time that uh, you know it's you're going to be successful. Right.
0: Agreed. Um, is there anything I missed? Is there anything I uh, that you'd like to? Talk about that, uh, you know, you've been—I you know, don't know—something more recently, or uh, you know, that, that's come to your mind, or uh, just something, just any topic surrounding what we're talking about that I may have missed that might be helpful to people. I don't know. Well, what, what's what's kind of fascinated me all
1: along about the market since I began in the '70s has been—it's really uh, psychology in action in a meaningful way because when people have money on the line you know that's where when it really counts so a lot of the same principles apply and whatever type of investment that you're looking at uh, my most recent project I've been looking at uh, sporting events uh, predicting point spread winners using behavioral finance uh, factors and uh, other you know s- systematic methodical uh, rules based approaches and I'm finding, that you know, a lot of the same principles apply there, too, as they do in other types of investing. Interesting. So it's, it's really, really fascinating to me um, that you can look at cryptocurrencies, commodities, uh, equities, sporting events, uh, pretty much anything out there, and, uh, and see a lot of the same forces at work and apply many of the same principles to Cane and Edge
0: yes I, I, I you know I didn't read the article but uh, one of my friends sent it to me about the guy who he made a billion dollars or something or something huge amount of money uh, in in horse racing did you see that article?
1: Yeah I did I read the article it was inter- very interesting
0: is it uh, similar to what um, you're talking about in in the sports uh, sports betting
1: yeah yeah exactly he was very methodical he did uh, tons of research. And was and he had to keep doing research to keep ahead of the game, right. and uh, and then he knew how to exploit the edge using um, proper money management principles. <laughs> so it it's all pretty much the same stuff.
0: Same stuff. If
1: you if you do it properly, anyway.
0: Right. Right. Well, I I know there's a lot of curve fitting out there, a lot of a lot of bad testing yep. practices that go on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that gets.
1: That's that's very pernicious. I see that all the time. People think they they want to improve on something, and they don't end up
0: improving on it. They just end up uh, playing with the data, yeah, overfitting it, improving the back test uh, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, great. Um, I think I think that's that's what I had um, on the docket for today. Um, again, if you guys want to go. Um, you know, listen to uh, Mike Covell's or Meb Faber's um, uh, podcast episodes with Gary. You know, gets um, gets more in the weeds on on the mechanics and uh, of dual momentum and uh, more of the theory behind it, things like that. I know we touched on it some today, but um, uh, they they ask more direct questions uh, towards <coughs> it. I not want I didn't want to recreate the uh, their episodes. I think it's just a waste of everyone's time. Um, so that's why I touched on more of the, uh, you know, psychological stuff and maybe things you learn and things you, you, your, your relationship with, uh, you know, those three legendary traders, um, and just trying to get some themes here together because to me and being, being new in this business, it's, um, a new into trend. It's, it's not all about the system all the time. Sure. There are some, Maybe geniuses out there that are creating new things. Maybe Jim Simons, one of them. You know, things like that, where they're so far ahead and they have so many uh, other advantages that us, uh, you know, uh, regular people, uh, mere mortals, don't have uh, the advantages of. So it's our persistence and the the, the other traits you mentioned that that uh, allow us to you know succeed over time. And uh, and do a little bit better than what's currently uh, uh, prevailing out there now, which is just simple buy and hold. You know, let's try to do a little bit better now. OK, we found something decent now. Now what now we actually have to do it and and work on ourselves and our discipline and our persistence and all that stuff. And uh, that's why I wanted to go there today. Um, not just all about the system and the mechanics and the rules. That's all great stuff, but it still needs to be executed and um yeah,
1: yeah so, I appreciate your uh, wanting to expand the scope here Mike uh, enjoyed
0: that yeah uh, it's great I mean um, hopefully we can maybe maybe get to get uh, maybe uh, you know either get together and uh, maybe Napa or something or come out west at some point don't go out there too much uh, but my wife um, you know might might have to go out there for business <laughs> or something and, I don't know get together or sure. revisit, um if we ever ever get a bear market again maybe we'll uh, revisit that and um and show how the momentum model is doing and um you know, market that and show maybe in real time that that was something for me watching trend following watching you know guys like Jerry Parker and and even John Henry at the time uh perform in real time uh in 2008 uh, when I was uh, working at Bear Stearns and J.P. Morgan, that was like an aha for me, watching it in real time. The theory and the back tests are good, but watching it in real time. So maybe when uh, things start to get a little wild, um, we can bring it back and say, hey, here's how your dual momentum system is doing. And uh, Yes. and that's Sounds
1: good, Mike. Uh, sounds good. I look forward to it.
0: Great. Uh, well, appreciate it, Gary. Uh, I will talk to you soon, sir. Okay, thank you very much. Bye.